It is Monday, October 7th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, Jared Smola. And Jared, we're almost through week five. We got one more game to go, Browns versus Niners. But let's look back on what happened Sunday. Talk about maybe some uh, waiver wire options, maybe some buy low, sell high guys still going. And let's start with Jay Gruden being fired in Washington. And the question is, does it mean anything for fantasy at this point? Yeah, week five was such a fun week, and we got to start with, you know, Jay Gruden in Washington. Um, I'm not sure it means anything. Um, I mean, Bill Callahan taking over as the new uh, interim head coach here. He's saying, you know, he wants to run the ball more. I don't think the Redskins are going to be able to run the ball more. It hasn't been an effective running game. They're, you know, trailing in most of these games. So um, we'll see, but I I hope not because, I mean, I think the only – players in Washington we care about are Terry McLaurin and then Chris Thompson as a pass catcher. So yeah, there's nothing redeeming about this running game. Right. There's nothing at all to get excited about. Bill Callahan says he probably wants to run the ball more. They're talking about how he has pointed out in privately in meetings that they are bringing up the rear in terms of uh, (laughs) rushing attempts. And he's been an O-line coach for most of his time in the NFL. So those kind of guys usually want to run the ball more, but I mean, it's not like that's going to get anybody excited about Adrian Peterson. Maybe way down the line, well, it'll be reason to like Darius Geis or to give him a chance more. Darius Geis is going to be eligible to return in week 11 against the Jets after the week 10 bye. I cannot advocate for stashing Darius Geis on a fantasy roster right now to wait for that. But, you know, if you're playing in a deep enough league where that's what you're actually looking at, then I guess maybe there's some upside there. And we'll see if he plays Dwayne Haskins any sooner. Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't even make sense for Washington to bring Geis back, considering they're going to you know, be winless or have one win or whatever but by the time he's ready. I'd rather see them just let him get healthy and you know bring him back in, in 2020. Um, yeah, I do think we'll see Dwayne Haskins here. I mean, there were either reports or rumors, I don't know what you want to con- consider them, that Jay Gruden wasn't on board with Dwayne Haskins you know, at, as the pick in, in this mm-hmm. spring's draft. So I, I do think that probably paid a, played a part and him getting canned. So I think we're going to see Haskins, but you know, Haskins hasn't looked ready. So I, I don't think it's going to help the offense, help the passing game. Yeah, I don't think that the coaching change is going to help them either. I mean, say what you want about Jay Gruden as a head coach and what Washington has done, but he still looks like a guy that can call an offense. I think if you look at what Kirk Cousins did in Washington versus what he's doing now in Minnesota and what Case Keenum put up numbers-wise over the first few games, I think if anything – that canning Jay Gruden is bad for the offensive outlook in Washington. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. I mean, yeah, Gruden had no chance in Washington, you know, with what they were trotting out there this season. All right, now that that's out of the way, now we can get on to some of the fun stuff. And fun stuff has to start with Will Fuller after what we just saw happen. 53.7 PPR point for him in that annihilation of the Falcons yesterday. And I think the question really is, did Will Fuller just make the quickest and biggest turn from buy low to sell high in the history of fantasy football? Yeah, it was the ninth best fantasy performance by a wide receiver in NFL history. So I guess to the extent that any anyone coming off a historical game like that is, is you know, could be a, 
a sell high if someone in your league is, you know, treating Will Fuller like a top five wide receiver the rest of the way. I'm not going to say we saw that coming, but, you know, we saw a big game coming for Fuller. The usage had been there. Deshaun Watson just missed him for a 75-yard touchdown back in week four. So, I mean, he's going to have more big games the rest of the way. There's going to be quieter games too, but... You know, I, I think my rest of season outlook for Fuller didn't really change based on, you know, it sounds funny to say, but based on that game, it didn't really change. I think, you know, again, he, he's going to have big games. He's not someone you can count on every week. He's not a wide receiver one, you know, going forward. But again, I think unless you can get wide receiver one value for, for him in a trade, I, I would just hang on to him. Yeah, so... I, he was a universal buy low last week. I mean, everybody, basically everybody was saying, all right, something's coming for Will Fuller, and this looks like a good week for it to come. Nobody would have predicted what did come. I mean, those are ridiculous numbers, as you just got to. Now, those points that he scored last week, they would have accounted for 16% of the league-leading PPR total for DeAndre Hopkins last year in fantasy. It accounts for nearly 63% of Will Fuller's total points for this year. That one game jumped him from 79th in wide receiver points per game in PPR to 11th right now. So where I would be at with Will Fuller is if I'm in good shape at wide receiver, meaning I have four to five guys that I'm choosing among every week, not, you know, these are definitely my three starters and every once in a while I might swap somebody in. But if there are four or five guys I'm choosing among on a weekly basis, then I would probably do a little price check on Will Fuller and see just how much I could get for him coming off of that, especially when they're heading into a game against Kansas City that looks at this point like a shootout, probably the biggest shootout Vegas projection-wise on the schedule for week six. I think Mm -hmm. it's worth looking into. That said, I would not head into this week saying, I got to move on Will Fuller now before he comes back to earth because we've got enough evidence behind us of him working with Deshaun Watson that we know big games will come. We know he's going to be inconsistent, but I mean, he's not about to disappear for the rest of the season by any means. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think your outlook for Fuller should really have changed based on this game. But would you trade Will Fuller right now for Juju Smith-Schuster? Uh, probably not straight up right now. Did Smith-Schuster <laughs> come out of that game with an injury? I can't remember now. Um, no, he came up and he, he had the toe thing coming in, but I, I think he played his usual role and, you know, ha- had a decent game, but um, yeah, I don't think I would make that trade either right now as, you know, as, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Now, like if somebody came to me with a package that was Juju plus a running back that gave me an upgrade for sure. Fuller plus a running back I didn't like, then yeah, I would certainly give that a look. But I, I think that you could probably aim higher if you are going to somebody else's roster. And, you know, I think Juju in particular is held back by the fact that he's having a made-up person as his quarterback probably <laughs> for at least the next week. Right, exactly. Yeah, but that, that was my point, I think, is that if you're going to trade Fuller, it should be for someone, you know, even higher in the rest of season wide receiver rankings than Juju. Yeah, like, I mean... Maybe Tyler Lockett's owner is a little bit concerned about the Seahawks having a a down game offensively last week or relatively down versus previous and they didn't deliver in Arizona. I mean, would I trade Will Fuller straight up to get Tyler Lockett? Yes. Yep, me too. So we'll move on from him and to another guy who had a big week. It's Michael Thomas, who's an even bigger name and a higher regarded wide receiver. And my question now is, is he now a sell high coming off his huge game against Tampa Bay in week five? Uh, Not to me. Thomas would just be a hold. I think Bridgewater is playing well enough. And I think more importantly, he's targeting Michael Thomas enough where that, you know, he's going to be a wide receiver one in our rankings for, you know, the next, it it sounds like, you know, Breeze is is probably out three more games. The uh, Saints have that week nine bye. And I think 
week 10 is when he's sort of expected back at this point. So, you know, you're sort of treading water with Thomas, but, you know, he's obviously producing pretty solidly even before his big game yesterday. You know, he had had a couple decent games with Bridgewater. The Saints also have the 10th best remaining wide receiver strength of schedule. Thomas still has two games left against Atlanta, one against Tampa. You know, we, we love those NFC South games. So he's a hold for me. I totally agree. I mean, his is the kind of game that happens that comes along when you have somebody that's getting 30% of the targets and is a clear number one receiver. Teddy Bridgewater just played better than he has to this point, was throwing deeper down the field and had a better better matchup. He showed us that he is actually capable of exploiting that Tampa Bay secondary, which didn't look like a strong possibility over the previous couple of games. So I agree. I mean, you know, would I listen to an offer for Michael Thomas? Of course, I'd listen to an offer for anybody, but I would not be actively shopping Michael Thomas right now. If I have somebody who's getting 30% of the targets, who is one of the more efficient receivers in the league and still has the prospect of his quarterback returning at some point, I'm yep. hanging on to that guy unless somebody blows me away. Yep, exactly. Only... Cooper Cup has seen more targets than Michael Thomas at this point by one. And that was, of course, they had that ridiculous 68 pass attempt game (laughs) against Tampa Bay the previous week. And Michael Thomas has four more receptions right now than anybody in the league. Teddy Bridgewater, I mentioned how he is throwing deeper. Here are the intended air yards per target in his three starts. 3.3 in that game at Seattle, then 6.4 against Dallas then 7.3 last week. Still just 14th in the league for the week, you know, with the Monday night game still yet to come this week. But we'll absolutely take Teddy Bridgewater being middle of the league in terms of how deep he's throwing the ball. Yeah, and I, I think that Saints game yesterday was more a product of that, that Bucks pass defense still being beatable. But I also think Teddy Bridgewater settling in. I mean, you know, it, that was only his third start. He was coming off this serious, serious knee injury. So I, I think it makes sense that he's, you know, playing better as we get deeper into the season. Adam Thielen also had a big game after Kirk Cousins apologized to him on the radio for not having giving him a bigger game the week before. So same question for Michael Thomas. Is Adam Thielen now a sell high coming off the big one against the Giants? So with this, with this week six game against the Eagles, I would hold Adam Thielen for this coming week and use him and you know hope he turns in another nice one. Then I would consider selling him. Even yesterday, Kirk Cousins threw it just 27 times. I mean, and they obviously you know had, had the game script in their favor, so he didn't have to throw a lot. But it's, it's just how it's going to be in Minnesota this year. It's going to you know switch back and forth between Thielen and, and Stephon Diggs. I don't think this Vikings passing game can support two strong fantasy wide receivers on a weekly basis. And I do still think there's going to be weeks where it's where it's Diggs and not Thielen. So yeah, again, I would I would hold Thielen. For this Eagles matchup and then you know try to sell him for something close to what you paid for him in dress. I agree. Even after the game against the Giants, Adam Thielen is tied for 40th among all wide receivers and targets. He's tied for 33rd at the position in receptions. His seven catches for 130 yards. If you take out the touchdowns, his seven for 130 is just the third largest wide receiver line that the Giants have allowed through five games. <laughs> so Thielen aside. Play your wide receivers against the Giants if you are considering it. It is a wonderful spot. Now, as you mentioned, they still only threw 27 passes in a game Minnesota controlled. Kirk Cousins has only reached 30 pass attempts twice in the two games that they have lost so far. Philly is a nice spot this week. I think the risk, of course, to holding Thielen is that, you know, he sees four targets in that game, catches two of them for whatever and yeah. you lose some of the shine. I would treat him like Will Fuller this week, where 
I'm not going out of my way to move him because it is a good spot. And frankly, at Detroit the following week might also be a good spot for Thielen where they might even have a tougher time staying ahead of the opponent and need to throw a little bit more. So I wouldn't feel like I need to move Adam Thielen, but I might be taking a look, especially if I'm in need of something in particular. I might be taking a look this week to see just how much I can get for him. Yeah, then it's the Redskins after that Lions game. So I don't know. I mean, you, you could you could hold Thielen and, and kind of hope he gets the volume the next three weeks, but you could also use these next three matchups as, you know, a selling point when you're looking to trade Thielen. Yeah, I might be scared of that Washington spot, though. That looks like a 14 <laughs> game for Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Now, on to a couple other big performances, relatively big, not nearly as big as the guys we just talked about, but who the heck are Byron Pringle and Duke Williams, Jared? Tell me about Pringle first. Byron Pringle is a is a wide receiver that plays for the Chiefs, so I think that's why we need to be interested in him. Um, yeah, I don't know a ton about him beyond that. I do I do remember the name because... Because you every, can't forget the name and hear it. <laughs> true that's true that's true every spring when I'm you know just sort of digging into the incoming rookie wide receiver class I, I sort of look at each guy's yards per target and then compare that to the yards per target of all the other wideouts on their team just to sort of get an, an idea of who was efficient compared to the situa- situation they were in in college and Pringle topped that metric back in 2018 so that, that's sort of how you know he, he was on my radar at some point but then he goes undrafted he just sort of you know falls away but yeah I mean he, he has decent size 6'1 205 pounds 446 speed he was 40 49th percentile spark so like an average NFL athlete at wide receiver put up nice market shares at Kansas State he played on bad passing games there so but again the, the reason I think Pringle should at least be on our radar at this point is because he's playing with Patrick Mahomes and you had Sammy Watkins exit early in last night's game with the hamstring injury we'll you know we'll see we haven't heard an update on him yet and then Tyree Hill is still you know he, he's getting closer but he, he might not be a lock for week six so if Watkins and Hill are out this coming week I, I think Pringle is going to be an option you know at least in deeper leagues and maybe if you're struggling with bye weeks yeah I'll give him that I do think that if either Sammy Watkins or Tyree Hill returns then Byron Pringle's probably off the radar especially if, if it's Hill that's back and it's not Watkins limping in with a, a questionable hamstring again. Before yesterday, Pringle played 12 total snaps through the first four games. He caught one one pass apiece in week three and week four, one target in each of those games. So he, he showed last night that he can do it if he gets the opportunity. And of course, playing with Patrick Mahomes helps anybody's chances of doing that. But we need to see more before I'm feeling good about popping Byron Pringle in, into anything more than like a showdown lineup. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. He he did play ahead of Nicole Hardman last night, though. Played more snaps, ran more routes, so that was interesting. Yeah, man, Hardman also caught one of those ridiculous Mahomes passes. It just kind of seemed like it magically dropped in in between the, the defender's arms on the sideline. <laughs> yeah. So Duke Williams is the Bills guy, and he's a 26-year-old who was in the CFL, Canadian Football League, that the Bills signed in the offseason. He had kind of a buzzy camp for them. but didn't make the regular season roster coming out of camp. Then they activated him over the weekend from the practice squad. He started the game. He played 13 of the first 15 snaps, according to The Athletic. He finished second among Bill's wideouts and snaps played, caught all four of his targets for 29 yards and what would be the game-winning touchdown. And just as notably, Zay Jones was active, played one snap, and saw zero targets for the game. 
Right. So, I mean, it, it looks like Duke Williams just stepped into Zay Jones's role. Um, you know, John Brown remained the number one guy. Cole Beasley stayed as the number three slot guy. I think we were all, or at least I was hoping that Robert Foster would sort of take over Jones' spot. And, you know, he, he's been out with that groin injury. So, you know, maybe once Foster's healthy, it's going to be him and not Duke Williams taking over for Zay Jones. But Williams, to me, a guy to monitor, but I'm not you know going to go pick up, even if he's the number two wide receiver for the Bills. I don't think that's worth owning at this point. I agree with that. I'm curious to see what's up with Robert Foster, because both of the last two weeks, he started out practicing. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks ago, he had two limited practices with the groin and then didn't play. This past week, it was two full practices, then a limited Friday, then he didn't play. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of curious to see what what happens with him coming out of the week week six bye. If maybe they just kind of shelved him to get him close to 100, percent or yeah. if it's a sign of Robert Foster slipping further down the depth chart. Right. All right. So we'll move on from those big wideout performances. We'll get to the Jets now, which are barely worth <laughs> discussing, but maybe they'll be more th- more worth discussing for fantasy purposes going forward because it seems like Sam Darnold's close to coming back. It seemed like the Jets expected him to come back this past week. They gave him all of the practice reps as a starting quarterback and then found out that his spleen said no. So it was Luke Falk again. I guess, Jared, if Sam Darnold is back for week six, what in this offense are you buying, I guess, for the near and even longer term? It might sound funny, but I'm, I'm sort of just buying this offense in general right now. I mean, I thought Darnold and the offense looked really good this preseason. And then, you know, I mean, Darnold plays week one. Who, who knows how big an issue the mono was then? Um, and then, you know, since then, I think we pretty much throw out everything we've seen in the past, you know, th- three games with Simeon under center, then Luke Falk under center. Those guys just aren't NFL quarterbacks. So Le'Veon Bell is the guy I'd be aggressively trying to trade for right now. I mean, he's not going to come cheap, but I, th- I think he's going to come cheaper than he should. I mean, the fantasy production hasn't been huge, but his usage has been unbelievable. Just week in, week out, on the ground, and in the passing game. I think that's going to continue with Darnold, and I think Bell should get more efficient, have more touchdown opportunities with Darnold. So I'd be trying to buy Le'Veon Bell if I can. And then even the wide receivers, Robbie Anderson, James and Crowder I think you know those guys are going to fare better when they have a real NFL quarterback thrown to them yeah and I think that Le'Veon Bell might be a good reason to go ahead and see how much you can get with Adam Thielen or Will Fuller if you're stocked enough at wide receiver this week because I mean any of these weeks if Le'Veon if Sam Darnold comes back this week and Le'Veon Bell scores twice against Dallas then your buy window on him is is closed that's it and he has as you said he's been seeing a ton of opportunities 25.75 per game so far. That's second only to Christian McCaffrey. Leonard Fournette is the only other guy that's at 25 there. Opportunities, of course, is carries plus targets. Le'Veon Bell's been getting the ball a ton with Sam Darnold out of there. I think he would probably see fewer targets relative to everybody else once Darnold is back, but he's also going to get higher quality touches for an offense that's actually capable of moving the ball, might even get near the end zone a few times. So Mm -hmm. I agree with trying to buy him aggressively right now. I would maybe put out feelers on Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, see how just just how cheaply they might be available. I, I don't know what's up with Demarius Thomas. <laughs> he played more snaps than Robbie Anderson or Jamison Crowder against Philly yesterday. One more than Robbie Anderson, 14 more than Jamison Crowder. Saw nine targets, which tied Le'Veon Bell for the team lead. So, I mean, I don't know if that's going to mean anything going forward or if it was just a goofball game. I'm not going to treat Demarius Thomas like he's a big factor for week six, especially if Sam Darnold is back. But I, I'm going to, I guess, keep an eye on what his role is. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's at least at the point where we're not sure exactly who among those three wideouts is going to lead the team in targets in a given week. 
Yeah, it's possible. I mean, you know, we, we talked in the preseason about the Jets who were pretty much exclusively going three wide receiver sets in the preseason. I think that's what they want to do going forward. So I do think Thomas is going to be on, on the field quite a bit. Um, I still think Anderson and Crowder are going to be better weekly bets for fantasy points. And yeah, I'm not going to pay up for Anderson or Crowder, but I mean, th- mm. those guys could be of it, could be on waiver wires in a lot of leagues. And if they're not, I don't think it would cost a whole lot to acquire them. Yeah, I would consider stashing them if they are on waivers. You know, whether to drop somebody that you have for them depends totally on who you have because that varies wildly by league. And I I would consider low level trades for each of them, certainly not giving up anything of particular consequence right now. Chris Herndon is one to discuss too. He's available this week, finished a four game suspension coming off the DUI from a couple of years ago. How high would he be on your pickup list this week? I mean, if he if he is a free agent in your league, and you know, if you don't have one of those, you know, top five or six tight ends, I would go pretty aggressively after Chris Herndon. I'm there's some risk, obviously. We haven't even seen him this year, but I liked what I saw last year. You know, had a really nice season for a rookie tight end, and everything we heard this summer, and even what we saw in the preseason was, you know, that Herndon's ready to take the next step. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a chance he steps in and immediately becomes like a top ten fantasy tight end. Yeah, I think he has the upside to get into there. I would still rather have Gerald Everett if they're both on waivers this week and you're deciding between them. For With Everett, I mean, there's not as much of an opportunity for him to climb too near the team lead in targets, but Everett has played 70-plus percent of the snaps in three of the past four games for the Rams. And in the other game in that stretch, he still played 50 snaps, so it wasn't like he was significantly less. And I I guess I'm just buying the offense more than the Jets offense, especially because the Rams are not running the ball as much as they have in the past couple of years or winning as much or as easily, which, of course, helps, you know, the offense to run the ball more often, not doing that as much this year as they have over the past two years. So I I would lean toward Everett, but I certainly think either of those guys, if they're available, are worth going after this week. Yeah, it'd be Herndon for me. I I don't know what to make of Gerald Everett. Like I I sort of wrote off the big week four because, you know, it came on, what was it, 68 Jared Goff pass attempts. That game against the Seahawks on Thursday night was interesting because we we saw Sean McVay go with a lot more two tight end sets than he ever has since becoming head coach of the Rams. Cooper Cup only played, I think it was like 68% of the snaps in that game whereas you know he'd, he'd been up in the 90s because the Rams tend to go three wideouts but they were taking cup off the field a lot in that game and you know playing both Everett and Higby so I don't know if it was just a matchup thing where McVay thought you know he wanted to attack with his tight ends or if that's going to become you know more of a thing going forward if, if you know Everett's going to be playing 70% of the snaps then yeah I think he has a shot to be a top 12 tight end the rest of the way the Jets by the way have the Cowboys Patriots and at the Jaguars over the next three games I think that if Sam Darnold's back this week six game could be telling. I mean, I, I don't think that either of us is going to expect a whole lot from any any Jets against the Patriots in Week 7, but if they can do something yeah. solid against the Cowboys this week, then that could point towards some value beyond. Yeah, I agree. Um, Patriots will be a stay-away matchup, but that, that Jaguars game after that, I mean, you know, that, that Jags D is not one we need to be afraid of right now. Uh, the Arizona offense is one that we've talked about a lot dating back to the spring ever since Kyler Murray joined the team. So now they finally had really their first truly big offensive day of the year, 514 yards against the Bengals, who have been very kind to opposing offenses so far. Previous high in yardage for the Cardinals was 387 against Detroit in week one, that overtime tie. Those are the only two games this year that Arizona has topped 20 points scored. So Jared, how do we treat the Arizona offense coming off this game? Is that a breakout for them or is there more 
ahead. I mean, I think they did what we hoped for, what we expected in that matchup against the Bengals. And I don't know if it closes any buy low window that was there. I mean, it's worth trying, I think, still. I, I, I still think more productive days are ahead for this offense. The, the Cardinals' problem has been in the red zone. They, they can't convert their red zone trips into touchdowns. Only 30% of their red zone trips have resulted in touchdowns so far. That's third worst in the league behind only the Bengals and the Dolphins. So, you know, that, that's why you look at the, you know, overall uh, offensive numbers. The Cardinals are 14th in total yards, but they're only 28th in offensive touchdowns because, again, you know they're they're just kicking too many field goals. So if they can clean that up, that's going to help. Obviously, the fantasy production here, more touchdowns. Um, the schedule is also nice too. Their next few games here: Atlanta, the Giants, the Saints. Two games against the 49ers and one game against the Bucks before the bye week. I don't think that this offense is going to explode, but I do think that there's lots of room for you know a slight correction in areas like you said, touchdowns in the red zone and. Just even Kyler Murray getting some passing touchdowns from anywhere. I mean, he he's so far he's at a two percent passing touchdown rate. He's still ninth among quarterbacks in fantasy points. That two percent passing touchdown rate ranks thirty first in the league right now. Last year it would have ranked behind all thirty three qualifiers in the league, including Josh Rosen, the previous Cardinal starter, who was at two point eight percent for his garbage season last year. So Kyler Murray can play poorly the rest of the way and still do better than his 2% passing touchdown rate and add to what has already been a top 10 scoring level for fantasy quarterbacks. And really, you know, that was the allure to him heading into the season was he doesn't have to be awesome to be a good fantasy quarterback. So I certainly think there's some buy low potential on him, especially if you can get him before he faces the (laughs) Falcons and the Giants, who we've seen boost boost passing games the past couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I would like to say Murray is a buy low, and it's definitely worth checking. But like you said, you know, he is ninth in fantasy points among quarterbacks, despite you know what sort of feels like a disappointing start, at least passing. He is he, he is running a lot more now than he did in the first few games, which is nice to see. Yeah, I mean, this is one that could totally differ based on perception. Somebody who's really paying attention to their team would be like, no, Kyler Murray's just fine, and he's going to throw more touchdowns at some point. Others would be like, oh, I lost last week because he couldn't throw a single ball into the end zone. I lost two weeks ago for the same reason. Yeah, I'll trade this guy. I'm done with him. Yeah, exactly. Worth checking into, at least. How to treat the Philly backfield going forward. I So anybody who had Jordan Howard against the Packers or picked him up after that game against the Packers and then played him didn't wind up disappointed because he did score against the Jets. He still led Philly in carries of 13, but he also went from taking all of the running back targets to zero of them against the Jets. Miles Sanders took all five of them in that game. So you might have end up, ended up somewhat frustrated, if not totally disappointed. What is What do we do with Eagles running backs going forward? I think we're, I mean, we're just getting a Doug Peterson backfield. I don't think it's a whole lot different than what we expected heading into the season. It's, it's why I think we were lower on Miles Sanders than a lot of other people. We just you know, didn't, didn't expect Peterson to change what he's always done and let's go with the committee backfield. We mentioned it last week. Darren Sproles sort of has fallen by the wayside. He has a quad injury now. It sounds like he's going to miss a couple of weeks. So at least it's a two man backfield now. And it's still a good offense. I think it makes Howard and Sanders both, you know, lower end fantasy starters. And you sort of have to accept that, you know, one of the guys is going to, you know, be the one to punch in the touchdown one week and the other guy is probably going to disappoint. You just got to kind of roll with those punches. Yeah, I think you consider both of them somewhere in between like running back 24 and running back 36 most yeah. weeks. 
If you're heading into a matchup such as Minnesota this week, I would lean away from Jordan Howard, who has been the better runner so far, but Miles Sanders has more receiving upside. You know, the touches are going to vary. So if you're depending on either or both of them, you should plan on being frustrated at times because it's going to happen. You're going to get games where one guy goes off and the other guy doesn't do a whole lot. I would play, we'll, you know, we'll get more into it when we get to the Thursday preview pod. I think this is looking more like a Miles Sanders week. And then, you know, we'll see if, if things actually settle out that way where Miles Sanders is getting bigger receiving stuff when they need that help against a tougher defense Mm -hmm. and whether Jordan Howard remains the lead ball carrier the way he has the past two weeks. Yeah, it does seem like Howard's taken over as the you know preferred goal line option. Um, you know, he he had the the touchdowns against the Packers, scored again in Week Five, and you know, he he's he's been effective. It was it was it was Sanders getting those carries the first couple weeks, but it's been Howard the past few, and he's capitalizing. So I would sort of expect Howard to be the better touchdown bet, you know, at least at least in the near future. Yeah, and I haven't watched yesterday's game yet. I wasn't on TV here. I haven't watched it to see if anybody was replacing the other as we got near the goal line, or if they were just taking turns again on drives. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether to treat it as encouraging or discouraging that so far it looks like the O-line has been pretty solid. Football Outsiders has them 12th in adjusted line yards. That was heading into yesterday's game, of course. Pro Football Focus has them second in the league in run blocking. And the offense overall, Football Outsiders had fourth in overall efficiency heading into the Jets game, 11th in rushing. So I, I don't know whether to be encouraged and say, as we go forward, the situation helps both of them be better than they would be somewhere else. Or if you look at it and say, neither one has really given me a whole lot outside of the three Jordan Howard touchdowns against Green Bay, despite this nice position that they're in behind a good offensive line. I think I'd be more encouraged. I mean, I think, you know, we, we thought the Eagles were going to be a top offense with a top offensive line coming into the season. We've gotten that. Um, So I, I, I would expect the backfield to be, to be more productive going forward. I mean, Jordan Howard, say what say what you will about his you know passing game ability, but the guy's produced on the ground since arriving in the NFL. And Miles Sanders, I, I think he's a talented runner still. So I, yeah, I think I think both guys um, should be more efficient going forward. And I mean, Jordan Howard has caught the ball fairly well for them this year, and they said yeah. going into the season that they thought he was a better receiver than he tends to get credit for. So I don't, I don't think Jordan Howard's disappearing in that area either. I think. If I have either of the guys, I'm going forward thinking, okay, this guy's going to be an option for me each week. It's not He's not an answer. Maybe at some point one of them gets hurt and the other one becomes more of an answer. But you know, going forward, I, I think I could be in a worse situation than having either of these Eagles backs at my disposal. At the same time, I'm not going out and trying to buy either one. Yeah, me either. And I would say, you know, if you're set at running back with, you know, maybe three guys better than Jordan Howard, I do think Howard is sellable just because of the touchdown barrage he's had over these past few weeks. I don't, I don't expect Howard to emerge as this, you know, 18 to to 20 touch guy going forward. I I think Sanders is going to remain involved. Yeah, I agree. Unless Sanders gets hurt, obviously. Another guy who might have extended his selling window is Devontae Freeman, who got into the end zone in that blowout loss to Houston. Five catches on five targets for 40 yards in that touchdown, 11 carries for 30 yards rushing. Ito Smith actually saw one more target, caught all six of his for 45 yards, rushed five times for 19, nothing special there, but almost matched Devontae Freeman for the second time in playing time this year. Freeman played 54% of the snaps. Ito Smith played 47% of the snaps. It could mark a trend downward. You know, one game's not quite enough, but Devontae Freeman has been right at 60, so he was down slightly yesterday. Ito Smith 
had not eclipsed 40 since week one, played 47 against Houston. I mean, this is a situation where we've seen Devontae Freeman continue to not do anything. I can't help but wonder if it's a signal that maybe things are evening out and there's there's might be a chance for Edo Smith to move past him. Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, it, I don't know if it's Devontae Freeman. That, that run, the running game just can't get anything going. The offensive line, they've had injuries. They, they, they can't block anyone right now. And the, the Falcons are hardly even trying to run the ball. They, they're leading the league in pass rate. I think they're, they're above 70% pass right now. I think we talked about last week that, you know, the concern for Freeman was, you know, if his inefficiency would mean more Edo Smith going forward. And that is what we saw this past week. So yeah, I'm definitely concerned. I would be trying to move Freeman if you can get a decent return for him. And I would, I would say Edo Smith, you know, should be rostered if he's available in your league. Cause you know, we could continue to see him getting, you know, at least half of the backfield work going forward. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. The interesting thing this week is that they're, they've got the game against Arizona, which has been another giving defense. So it kind of extends the window if you can't find a deal that that you like for Devontae Freeman. I would be shopping him right now before things go you know, sideways with him, which I think is a possibility at any point. But at least if you can't find something that you like this week, I think Arizona spot is a, a nice matchup that could give him another chance at you know stealing a touchdown at some point. Yes, agreed. Let's move on then to streaming defenses to close this puppy out as we do every week. Streaming defense for week six. Jared, what do you like? I think there's quite a few decent options this week. Um, I'll let you talk about the Packers. I, I think they, they probably are the top option. Um, but I think the Ravens are, you know, and, and the Ravens, I don't think it's a great defense anymore, but you know, it's about the matchup here. They're at home for the Bengals. Um, Cincinnati's allowed the fourth most sacks. They've turned it over 10 times already. So I think, I think the Ravens are, you know, a, a nice option. Um, the Chiefs are at home. Um, you know, we always like playing the Chiefs at home and they get the Texans who, you know, the Texans are going to put up points in that game, but um, I think the Chiefs will be a good sack bet. And then keep an eye on Sam Darnold. If um, he remains out this week, the Cowboys obviously will be a nice play if it's Luke Falk under center. Yeah. If it's Sam Darnold back, I don't think I'm interested in the Cowboys after what we've seen lately. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So the Packers, I, I would still take ahead of each of those. They're back home against the Lions this week. Got the Raiders after that. They did allow 563 yards to the Cowboys in yesterday's win, but they also took the ball away three times. They've got three three games of three-plus takeaways over just the past four. They have seven interceptions through five games. Pro Football Focus has Detroit graded 25th in pass, pass protection on the season. Oakland just 18th, so right around middle of the league. And the Packers have been really good on the pass rush so far this year. Three games of three-plus sacks, including three against the Cowboys yesterday. So I think there's big sack upside and turnover upside, both against Detroit and against Oakland, no matter what the game against uh, – in London tells you this past week yeah to me the Packers and Ravens are about a toss-up this week but the Packers having that game in week seven against the Raiders would definitely have me lean towards them if you're picking between the two yeah and if I'm picking between two like that I'm going to go with the defense that has been performing better overall sure Green Bay against Baltimore and one more to consider is Washington at Miami I mean obviously it's just kind of an autoplay against Miami to this point and Washington's not a good defense but they could be putting they could be settling in as a decent defense going forward they do have interceptions in four straight games now they had a season high four sacks against the Patriots in yesterday's loss and Jonathan Allen up front a defensive end is now healthy he missed a couple games with a knee sprain returned from it last week so if he gets healthier and they got Quentin Dunbar back as a starting corner a healthier defense can at least be okay and of course Miami's been a nice matchup for defenses to this point 
How about Miami at home for Washington? <laughs> Could be. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I need something to to hang on to for a defense. Yeah, I, I don't know what to expect in that game. Um, the, the Redskins are actually three and a half point road favorites. So another rough spot in Miami season. They're being underdogs at home for Washington. With their coach fired and not knowing <laughs> who the quarterback's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So week seven streaming defense. I think, first of all, if you have the Bills, normally you have a, if you have a defense and it hits a bye, most of them we want to just drop at that point for a replacement. But you should hang on to the Bills because in week seven, they've got the Dolphins and they've got a good stretch of games beyond that. Yes, definitely. And, and week seven looks a bit tougher for streaming days, which is, I think, another reason to hang on to the Bills if you can through this bye week. If you don't have Buffalo, the 49ers get the Redskins in week seven. I think they're, they'll be okay. That Niners defense has been quite a bit better this season. And then the Colts are at home for the Texans again. I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of attacking that, that, that Texans offensive line. There's not a, not a ton of upside because the Texans will put up points, but I think the Colts, you know, you can pencil them in for three or four sacks in that game. Yeah. And we just saw the Colts limit the chiefs at Kansas city. So we know that it's possible yeah. they can put up a solid defensive game. Yep. I think Washington at home, if they work out against Miami this week, there's a chance they look fine against the Niners because the Niners have not been good on offense so far. We'll see how they look against the Browns coming out of there by, and then the Titans against the chargers, the Titans probably aren't available at this point, but You know, if they become available, I I never would have thought that we would point to week seven as a positive matchup for the Titans defense against the Chargers. But it's looking like it could be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Seattle at home against Baltimore next week is another possibility. I think Seattle's probably a little bit better on defense than I was giving them credit for a couple weeks ago. Yeah, maybe. Lamar Jackson has sort of taken a couple steps back as a passer these last couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Seattle's not one that I would go out and pick up now, but it's one to keep in mind heading into week seven, depending on what's available. Yeah, yep. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our updated rest of the way rankings, as well as the free agent focus articles for offense and for the IDPs. Come midday Tuesday, we'll have our week six projections live on the site. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm at Shaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 